0: with me in my foul life
1: What's up? What's up, podcast world? Chad Belling back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you all so much for the support, the subscriptions, the ratings, the reviews. Please continue to support the partners and sponsors that support our TV shows, our podcast, our social media, our live events, our entire network. It all means so much to us. And again, it's very humbling. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Gerber Gear, Gerber Knife. Stay sharp, America. I've already said it once. I've said it a bunch more than once, actually. That we have them everywhere: our toolboxes, our blind bags, our trucks, our. Our four wheelers, our ATVs, our UTVs, you name it, we have a Gerber product saws, machetes, axes, hatchets, knives, fixed blade, closed blades, folding knives, skinning knives, fillet knives. We catch fish, we skin them, and we fillet them. We catch ducks, we kill them, we eat the breast meat out of them, the tenderloins out of them. Same with deer and elk and turkeys and all the wild game. Everything that we do in life from building blinds to fixing our boat motors, our UTVs, changing the tire, Gerber fits into that picture somewhere. Please support Gerber, American made right in Oregon, Western United States. We're so humbled to be part of the Gerber regu- Revolution. And today's episode of the Fowl Life Podcast is also brought to you by our friends at California Waterfowl Association, leading America's efforts for the hunter, the shooter, the conservationist. In California, it all starts in the West and leads eastward. The initiatives, the youth programs, the egg salvage, the banquets, the volunteers, the employees, the entire mission of CWA, the California Waterfowl Association, calwaterfowl.org. Become a member right now, no matter where you live in this country. Support support them support their initiative support their cause $35 a year magazine decal for your truck or trailer it just makes sense it's just a couple of those fast food meals or casey meals that you have to skip 35 bucks is going to give you the ability to say that you're a member of the california waterfowl association fighting the good fight for today's hunter tomorrow's hunter and many more generations to come calwaterfowl.org we're a part of them we're a life member of them we support them wholeheartedly and today's guest is actually in charge of memberships in charge of the banquets in charge of fundraising for CWA California Waterfowl Association from California I bring you Mr. Scott Mueller back to the podcast how are you my man
0: I'm good how you doing Chad
1: I just did all that just I got yeah. a little, I got a little cotton mouth right
0: there <laughs> yeah yeah no things are good obviously uh, a lot going on a lot of changes in all everybody's life so we're, we're just hanging in there hanging out the house and uh, trying to come up with new and bright ideas and 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 uh, keep the funds coming to the organization so we can continue to do what we do
1: yeah membership is more important than ever right now in conservation organizations because of the inability to have your banquets and live events you got to keep the blood rolling you got to keep the bloodlines flowing right so membership drives are important and 35 bucks we can all afford and it goes to a huge cause for today's waterfowl and tomorrow's waterfowl hunter correct
0: absolutely you know everything like you said before i mean our, our we're like most other organizations that a huge percentage of our membership does come from banquets so right now none of us are having banquets. banquet so you know make sure that you get out there get online sign up renew your membership join today because uh you know it's just great to be part of an association like california waterfowl that that i that's doing all the great things that we do to protect hunting
1: such as go ahead
0: well, let's just start with advocacy. I mean, we live in California and, uh, this state is, is, is as you mentioned earlier, what happens on, out in California goes up uh, in the West, travel across the U S and this state is always trying to find new ways and new laws and new stuff to bring into legislation or put on the ballot, you know, to, to hurt that, you know, this last year, um, we lost Bobcat hunting. That was, uh, that was taken away from us. Um, there are proposals this year, um, through our state legislature that would have banned the use of lead ammunition at the range. So, you know, think about going to the sporting clays range or going and shooting target and having to, to, to buy steel or non-toxic, uh, you know, ammunition. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, those those ranges and stuff, they mitigate those issues, any issues that would be with lead. And so it's really, you know, it's really just an effort kind of a, you know, death by a thousand cuts. And uh, we're right in the middle of it. We're right in the fight. That That is something that a lot of people don't realize how much of that political stuff that we fight for, that we not only protect hunting, but we're also on the offensive, you know, we try to introduce bills into legislation and actually get them signed into the state. So um, we're doing a lot with that front and there's there's a lot of things and, and really advocacy is, is first and foremost right now on the fight in California. It, right now, I mean, there's still, there's still uh, stuff coming up. We heard about something that got introduced that they're talking about suspending the right to buy a firearm in this state right now because of this crisis. And it's just, you know, it's just, we're not going to sit back and, and allow nonsense like that to happen. Mark Henley, our VP of uh, legislative affairs works hard. Jeff Fulberg, our our DC lobbyist that we have contract with as well as another one, in California, we're working hard, you know, trying to, trying to fight the fight out here. And uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, our, um some of our hunting programs that we get into you know we actively recruit new hunters we try to get people in the field um not only start them off at a camp and and get them their hunter education but then put them in a blind in a great situation and let them uh, let them get out and hunt
1: and i think what you said in there you said death by a thousand cuts i was writing something down right there about how important that is of you you hear something happening. Well, they took away bobcats. Well, that ain't never going to happen to us. I live in Kansas. I mean, we got tons of bobcats. Well, they stopped salmon fishing. Well, that ain't going to happen to us. we got tons of bass over here we're always going to have. Well, you can't bring African game across state lines anymore from Africa safari hunts. Well, that won't happen to us because our government... What you're saying is that they get little wins. Little wins build into more what? Confidence. It builds into more advocacy on their part of going against you and what our advocacy stance is of... If they keep winning, if they keep winning those little battles, pretty soon they're gonna have the confidence to go after the war, and then it just takes away from the enjoyment and the and the success that we can have as a hunter in the field because all of our all of our um Sweat equity or energy or focus has to go on to what the California Waterfowl Association is doing. You guys are taking it by, you know, taking a hold of this situation and you're fighting behind the scenes for guys like me and other hunters out there. And death by a thousand cuts is not a good way to go. That's that's just hemorrhaging and, and putting a bandaid on one and then getting ready to be cut again because they just keep coming after our rights. And we have to understand that supporting you guys gives you the ability to go after them harder and keep fighting for all of the things so we can. Provide prevent more and more of those cuts to pretty soon we're a lot healthier we're not getting beat up as bad and they're starting to see from our side that hey we mean business too and that's why we need CWA and NRA and SCI and all these organizations that are fighting like this because those death by a thousand cuts if you tell yourself it's not happening you're fully you know what because it's happening daily to where they want to take our rights away as hunters and fishers and shooters and second amendment arms bearing citizens and that want to protect our families our homes and also enjoy the outdoors and mother nature and everything that it has to offer so that's a huge part that right there is enough to write a check for 35 bucks and become a member and if you multiply that by 100 and then you multiply that by another 100 that's a good amount of revenue coming in to help keep doing this and that's important that it's not just uh you get a decal scott mueller and john carlson and all of these guys mark henley they're going to bat in battle every day for our rights as hunters across this country, even though it says California waterfowl, which might be a good idea not to name it that because it's doing, it's fighting so many rights for so many different people in so many different parts of this country on a daily basis. Does that all make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's certainly, like you said, don't think that what happens out here doesn't. Travel across the US. I mean, talk to the folks in Oregon and Idaho and Colorado and Wyoming and and some of the other states out west. And, and you know, some of these things that we see introduced in California maybe passed by law years ago are now coming up in their state. So, you know, I, I my one message to to hunters and, and, and all shooters and all outdoors men and women is is stay connected. Whatever that means, if it, if it's a California waterfowl that keeps you connected to what's going on, you need to pay attention because um, I remember back when they banned uh, lead ammo several so years back for, uh, to hunt with the big game and everything else, that there were a lot of people, a lot of hunters that I knew that, that, that you think should understand and see what's going on, had no clue. And then all of a sudden it's gone like that. So you need to stay in. You need to, I mean, you know, we send a lot of emails out. We, we, we try to keep our membership at breast of what's going on, updated with the programs that we're doing. You know, we have a, a, an action alert system. Uh, voter voice that that, that, hey if we need you to act we send you an email so and the only way to get get going on that is you have to go to our website you have to sign up for these things you have to pay attention Um, because if you don't you know it's just gonna you know it's gonna be taken away
1: yeah I'm just again I'm coming up with ideas as you're talking of um, how important it is right now more so than ever to become members of these organizations to not only help fight the virus and, and the revenue decline with banquets being, you know, canceled right now, but just the year round advocacy that we are getting, not to mention that what's another important part about what you said was mentorship and how important that is for the future, the lifeblood of our, of our hunting community, our lifestyle, our heritage and our culture, right? Yep. You can't, yeah. you can't just assume that everybody's going to be hunting in 10 years because the guys that are 70 right now might not be doing it as much. The guys that are growing up in the city might never be introduced to it. Um, I brag about your guys's college hunter program so much and what it's done in the success rate. What is the success rate? Rocky said somewhere around 30%, I think, 35. I thought it was higher than that. But anyway, that's still a good bit of people that come into this college program. They're in 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. They go on their first hunt of all time. Maybe a lot of them are shooting a gun and learning about a gun for the first time and what ammunition is and patterning. Then they learn how to clean birds, process, butcher, do all that. Then they actually go out on a hunt the next day. And then like 35 to 40% or somewhere in there, you'll educate me on that, Scott, are going out the next year on their own and buying a hunting license and staying involved so mentorship programs like this the women in the outdoor programs that you guys have the youth programs that you guys have taking new people hunting even if it's just one a year introducing one of your neighbor's kids to it that might never ever have the chance or ability to go on a hunt he might just see something out there that he goes damn i can't live without this and boom he's hooked that's how i got into it i, was, I knew i was a chucker hunter and a deer hunter i went on my first duck hunt and i was like it was over right so uh, these mentorship programs are everything
0: Oh yeah, getting people, getting people out doing the, you know, getting on a hunt is is definitely key to keeping some. You know, we do a lot with R three. That's what all those programs are geared towards: recruit, reintroduce, and uh, oh gosh, now I forgot the third R. But anyway, it's it's to get people out and, and get them in the outdoors because one of the things that that we know is is that access to the outdoors and having somebody that shows you how to do it is the toughest thing for to get new people into it. You need to have a mentor. You need to have somebody that just doesn't say, oh, go over there and, you know, hunt. It just, it's just not that easy. You know, I grew up hunting since I was a, a little kid. So my dad got me into hunting. My brother-in-law really, you know, took me on a lot of my first waterfowl hunts, got me hooked on waterfowling. So I had that, I had that backbone and that somebody that helped me do it. And that's what it takes to get people out there. So just, just providing access, which is something that we do as an organization, isn't enough. We, we also provide, you know, a guide to help you. We also make the experience something that, that, um, that's, you know, quite easy, you know, going out to the blind, you know, we've got Avery, Greenhead gear decoys in every blind. They set them out. They bring. They're there. There. It's a nice situation. So just stuff like that. Anything that we can do, like you mentioned, the college camp. It's it's a great opportunity. And and let's face it, we're not going to convert every single person. I mean, it, we it, our 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 ecosystem and our and our our, our waterfowl and our uh, our deer and they can't. Everybody can't be a hunter in this in this country. It can't sustain that, but. People need to realize that it's it's through hunting and the people that are so passionate about hunting that is conservation because of the things that we do and, and and how far we go back to protect it and all the things that we do to enhance it, to make it better. That's what it is to be a hunter. And that's why hunters are so important in this country.
1: And that means that if you're not in the position, you might be 18 years old, you might be 25, you might not be in the position right now in the mature pro- maturity process of your hunting career and experiences. And you might not feel comfortable taking a kid or a new person out because you haven't quite honed your skills enough to that point. That's why that 35 bucks goes to support an agency or an organization like CWA that's constantly getting new blood introduced to this to where somebody like Mandy Augusta, who's been on this podcast, she was one of the college kids from UC Irvine. She goes into the hunter program at Bird Haven with Mr. Paul Bonderson and yourself and CWA and rock and us and, and, Boom, she's addicted. Her, her fiance is a big-time duck hunter now. And what does that tell you? That means that, one, she's a woman. Two, she's intelligent. Three, she's educated. Four, she's a great voice and well-spoken. Five, she loves to hunt. And she can go and teach other people that were, might have been Democrats at one time, might have been antis at one time, might have been somebody that never knew about the the life and the culture of the hunter. And now she can go and speak in a positive term of, boom, 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 here's this, here's that, here's that, do it in a very non-ignorant way that enlightens somebody and educates somebody. If you're going to go to the polls and you're going to pull that lever and vote against hunting or guns or whatever it is, then at least be educated before you do it and don't do it out of ignorance and spite. Now, you think about that kid in Kansas that might not be old enough or mature enough in his game or his hunting, you know, his... His endeavors that he can feel confident in going out and taking, introducing somebody new be rest assured that you guys are doing that for us. You are bringing new hunters up that can be the voices of this in 10, 15, 20, a quarter of a century from now. And that is important to understand in the big scheme of things and the big picture is not to have tunnel vision of like, kill, 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 all I care is my decoys and my hunting spots. Again, it's fun. It's the lifestyle. But you got to understand the other part of it and why these organizations are so important and where your money goes. And when you have somebody that's fighting on Capitol Hill like you guys are and flying back to our nation's capital in D.C. and fighting it for us back there, that's a big deal. So people need to hear this and they need to say, you know what, it's $35 freaking dollars and plus there's other levels to do more. If you can do more, then do it. Because when that $500 is gone for a membership with CWA, trust me, you won't even miss it. And I'm not taking money for granted or talking out of turn, I'm just saying you will have a great feeling come over your body knowing where that money's going and and all of the efforts that are going to be put forth and all of the people that are going to be employed to make sure that we get to carry on this heritage and take new people Hunting through your mentorship programs or fight for advocacy on Capitol Hill—that's conservation at its finest. Because you're getting results and you're nonstop active every day with full-time employees and office, a headquarters. This isn't some just little little club in a treehouse that's made up of some duck hunters that want to wear a cool pintail logo on their hat. This is the real, legitimate conservation effort of the California Waterfowl Association that needs to be taken serious by duck hunters, deer hunters, turkey hunters all over this country. When you sit down and ed- Educate yourself on what it really is that CWA does on a daily basis for the current rights, the current freedoms, and the future rights and future freedoms of the American hunter, period.
0: Well said, yeah. One thing about, you know, it's great, back on that UC, it's UC Davis camp uh, that we did. It's our 12th year. We were the first one in the country to to launch that program. But, you know, one of the things is getting people and just understanding, have a conversation about hunting. Like I said before, everybody's not me- meant to be a hunter. There's a lot of people that just don't want to go out and kill. And that's okay. We're not, we're not trying to convert everybody. And that's what's so great about that program is, is these people are the next leaders of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, Fish and Game. These people are at UC Davis studying in their biology programs to become those those positions. And that's why it's so important for those people to have a grasp and understanding of what it means to be a hunter. Yes, a lot of them and some of them have taken up hunting because they realize, wow, A, I get to go out and get good, good organic food for the table, which is great. You know, I know all of us hunters during this, uh, this COVID stuff going on right now, we're eating pretty good right now. I mean, I, I know, uh, my, my deer in the freezers we're, we're almost out of that, but I still have speckled belly goose and I've got deer oh, and I've got fish, belly. you know, so, so, um, it's just a lot, there's a lot of layers behind everything we do, um, And it's, it's not always to create a new hunter. That's, you know, that's, yes, we need new hunters and that's, and that is those people that want to get out and do that. But it's also the understanding because You know, these programs, this this summer we're getting ready to do, um, even with this COVID, we're able to do uh, construction work, wetlands construction work all over the state. And we're going to do about $5 million worth of work all the way from San Jacinto Wildlife Area down in Southern California, all the way up to uh, Northern California, Fall River, Klamath, up in the Lower Klamath, and all throughout the Sacramento Valley, San Joaquin Valley, all up and down the whole state. You know, we're able to improve habitat, and that's really what it's all about, is that, that we need a strong hunting base because it's like I said before hunters are the ones that put in the dollars We put in the sweat equity we put in the financial equity and and we get things done And it's so important to I mean look at the wildlife Populations, you know across the country and across the world that have benefited from you know All of the financial resources that have been put into uh, through conservation
1: I, and, and I'm writing that down too is that You said something in there that sparked me about the different layers of what you do. And if when you start peeling back the layers of that onion, you really start to see what needs to become important. Now, look, I just let me finish typing this thought. Because I think that. I was writing peeling back the onion, the different layers of the onion as you mature into your hunting career and process right the different experiences that you go from being that guy that's all about the piles and the limits to maybe you get more into recipes maybe you get more into conservation maybe you get more into mentorship maybe you become a volunteer maybe you become a better chef or whatever it is right there's different stages of our hunting career to where if you the earlier you realize how important advocacy is and mentorship programs and organizations like cwa when you start peeling back those layers scott Mueller then you can start to understand every bit of the importance of the hunt as you start to... I, I had a, a podcast today with JP from Benelli, who you're, co, who you're friends with, and we were talking about that canvas and throwing all of your paints at that canvas and the masterpiece that you're trying to, to, you know, to, to produce out of that hunt and leaving your legacy and leaving your mark and leaving your stamp on that day's hunt. And if you start to add in conservation and everything that we're talking about, so when you peel back those layers of the hunt, And you see how much fun you're having and you see the memories that you're creating and you see what it means to be out there and how humbling it is. And that now look at us. We used to go into Chico or or Calusa or wherever and just go to a banquet and high five and hug and drink a beer and bid on this and bid on that. And then the rugs pulled out from under you and those are gone. And you're sitting here going holy shit, man. And there's countries out there that we're not even allowed to ever go to a banquet or ever go on a hunt. So when you think about that and the rights that are trying to be taken away from us and you peel back that layer of that onion and say, man, I work at a construction job 45 hours a week, year round. I hunt on the weekends year round fish when it's not hunting season camp when it's not fishing season or both. I don't have time to go get on a board of CWA or Ducks Unlimited or whatever it is in my area, Kansas Waterfowl Association, Arkansas, whatever it is. That's why you look at an association like this. And when that onions peeled back and you get down to the core of it, you're like, these guys are hunters that are doing this for us that's that's the simple thing to think about is that you guys are hunters that love to hunt you don't get to go on any more special hunts than i do or anybody else in this country because of your position at cwa you are fighting relentlessly and if i told people how long you've been at cwa they're probably going to assume that you're a lot older than you look because you do look like you're 30 31 today scott good for you buddy on this zoom meeting so (laughs) you've been there a long time so yep. if, you, if you think about it like that in terms of your hunting career and peeling back those layers of that onion, you know we need it. You know that you should be volunteering for DU if you love to duck hunt. You know that you should be taking a neighbor kid and introduce them in a mentorship program of, of what hunting is and why it's so awesome to live this lifestyle and respectful and ethical means. You should be the guy that's going out and putting wood, bo- wood duck boxes up, right? We all think that, but then life gets in the way. Mm-hmm. That's why you shouldn't get in the way of that $3,500, that $100, that $500, $35, $100, $500. And I keep pressing that is that members and the money is important to me right now because I have a lot going on in my life. So I can't come to every CWA banquet or every CWA board meeting or every initiative that you that we would love to be partnered with you guys on. Because life and business get in the way, but you guys are engulfed in this daily Your doors are open because employees are going in there to fight for this shit daily. Your magazine's being printed every two months to fight for this stuff daily. And that's what I'm trying to get across out across the country is, look, you should be doing all this. You should be helping in conservation efforts. You know, you should, it's a hunter. We're the number one conservationist in the world. Your duck stamp money, your hunting license money. Some of that goes to conservation. Some of the federal duck stamp money goes to grants and different things for, for conservation initiatives. But you guys are doing this 365 days a year. Is that fair to say?
0: Oh, yeah. yeah even, I mean, on, you even
1: on the weekends, you guys are doing kids camps and, and, and Saturday night banquets and egg salvage whenever the farmer calls. This isn't a nine to five Monday through Friday gig.
0: No, you know, a lot of people like you start the show with a lot of people. You know, California Waterfowl. Who's that? You know, there's 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 no other state organization that is bigger than us. In fact, you know, we're 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 about almost 50 employees in this state. That you know, when you look at the stuff that we accomplish with our 50 employees, you know, it really does blow people away. And, and and you're right. There is so many different layers. I guess it's it's a great thing about CWA. And then and then sometimes you know it's hard to it's hard to tell people all of the things we do do because you people kind of. I won't say they glaze over, but, you know, there are so many different layers, you know, there are, you know, it's, it's, it's about conservation. I mean, that's core, like I started with It's core to every one of these uh, nonprofit organizations that are in, in the, in the wildlife world is, 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 you know, protecting and, and, and doing better things for habitat for this, the species that, you know, that they're kind of in, uh, in front of. And then, and then, you know. There's just so many other layers of of, of our organization. Um, you know, we touched on just a few. I mean, there's a lot of different things that we do, um, and really, you know, one of the things that we're we are really proud of. We you know we have we say four main pillars: we have waterfowl wetlands advocacy and education, and we uh, we know that all of those things, the core center to that is hunting. Everything we do in the waterfowl wetlands education advocacy is all. To either you know protect hunting, to you know improve hunting, to get new hunters, all the different things that work that those four programs are um, are geared towards all lead back to hunting, and you uh, know we're proud of that. I mean, we we really think that we are not just the waterfowl hunting organization. You know, especially for people in California, if you're a shooter, um, if you just hunt doves or ducks or deer, you know there there's a lot of stuff that we do that affects you. You know, we got you know we got involved in the bear, the hunting dogs. Or hunting bears with dogs uh fight uh, years ago and people said what are you guys doing you guys are a duck orders they said well you know what it's that slippery slope what's next your dog when you're out hunting hunting uh, ducks to retrieve your ducks um you know those are the types of things you know the bobcat this year we got involved in that um you know some of the gun issues that come up in California we get involved a lot of that you know it really it really comes down to us going in and educating these lawmakers because it's it's sad. These lawmakers will throw a law together and have no idea how it affects people. Yeah, they're targeting gun violence and and taking guns out of uh, out of uh, you know the wrong hands, but then they just they have no idea of what it does to law abiding society. And so we go and we educate them with them, and we're we're effective coming to them um, like that to say, hey, look, we still oppose your bill because it's bad but you know it you know if, if you wanted to just specifically target this you know and this is a way you can amend that bill that softens it or, or or doesn't make hunting and hunters break the law and so a lot of that stuff gets written in we have a we have a great team that works on that stuff but uh yeah you know it's 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 a there's a lot of layers
1: well yeah i mean if you think about that statement you just said about how what you guys are getting involved in with the the hunting well i mean think about what your efforts do to somebody that or benefits for people that don't even hunt think about the photographers the bird watchers the farmers the the ranchers you guys are very keen on predator management that doesn't just save ducks that saves cattle that saves a lot of different chickens that saves a lot of um, revenue streams for the american rancher and then farming you guys are working with farmers hand in hand on different crops you're putting money and investing it into different pieces of property all over california you're opening up revenue streams for hunters all hunting season through your efforts in california waterfowl then you have all of what i started this with with like the autobahn and people that love to go up on bird towers and Ducks and geese. Well, let me tell you something. If it wasn't for the hunters and the initiatives put forth by CWA and these conservation agencies, I feel in my heart that there wouldn't be the ducks and the geese and the elk and the turkeys and the deer to be going and taking pictures of in the first place. They they wouldn't have anything to photo. So this benefits a lot. Is that unfair to say? You got a weird look know. on your eyes. Is that unfair to say, no. Scott?
0: No, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think did I make I you cry
1: when I said that? Because that's true. <laughs> that's true. They can't take credit for all the elk on the mountain right now. There's no way PETA can take credit for that. There's no way that that some tree hugger organization can. T- I don't care if you're a tree hugger. I don't care. You can't take credit for any of that. We'll work with you. CWA works with tree huggers. They work with Autobahn. They work with a bunch of different agencies that aren't deemed hunters or killers. They are photographers and watchers but they're still benefiting off of the conservation initiatives and efforts by hunters is that fair yeah. to say
0: yeah no and i even take it a little bit you know we you know with the uh organizations like audubon we work a lot with audubon they they acknowledge our organization and the need for hunting they support believe it or not you know a lot of people don't think that the audubon but they, i, I want to make about,
1: sure i want to make sure before you say that i want to make sure that if i sounded like i was calling audubon tree there's tree huggers and there's audubon i, I yep. tried to differentiate the two of them they're not against hunting they're not at all but a lot of tree huggers will get on you about hunting yep. and that's a totally different there's those are two separate people i hope that it sounded yep. like that when i said it
0: yeah, no, I mean it. It kind of it kind of goes back to you know educating the public, right? You know, one of the things, and back to that college camp, we talked a lot about is that those people come from a non-hunting background. Like I said, they're they're getting ready to be our to be our people that are going to be our Fish and Wildlife Service. They go to Bird Haven Ranch, Paul Bonerson, former president of Ducks Unlimited, big supporter of both organizations, CWA and him, and they and then he walks them through, and, he, and they see this ranch and they see the waterfowl, they see how much how much effort he puts into that habitat, how many dollars. And that's no different than any of these private duck clubs and, and rice ground all up and down the state and, and their jaw hits the ground. And they go, wow, you know, there's how many million, not just ducks and geese, but shorebirds and swans and all the other things that get the benefit of all this, all this, uh, this habitat deer. And then, and then they say, oh, yeah, we, we harvest or kill, we kill a couple thousand ducks a year. And they're just like for two million dollars or whatever you're you're spending on this annually, that's how many ducks. And they and they really it flips them. People just kind of that you know, like I said before, everybody can't get past the killing. Some people just aren't. That's just not their thing. But when they have a conversation with them and they understand, Who can't
1: get past that though.
0: Well, some some pe- there are people that just can't get past the killing of the, or they or let me rephrase it that they don't want to be the one doing that. Like I said earlier, I I don't think everybody you know. Can, is meant to pull the trigger. No, you know, if, no. If but, but, you, if, but but understand those that are don't don't come down on us. This is why we do it, and we and we and, and we don't come down and ground. we
1: don't and we don't come down on you for not pulling the trigger. Exactly, exactly. We don't come down on you for being a vegetarian or a vegan. No. Do your thing. Yeah, but just understand that everything comes at a cost.
0: Yeah, yeah. And All you mentioned. One well, other thing you talked about was agriculture. You know, touch on a, new, a brand new program. Here's here's you know the kind of stuff that we, as a small organization, just you know see an opportunity to make happen. So this this year we have um, our we're kicking off our uh, it's a brand new delayed wheat harvest program. So we've gone out we've we've identified an opportunity. Um, right now we're we're focusing around the north state, but you know mallards will nest in winter wheat and they're you know based on location next to rice fields but they tend to be in certain areas hotbeds for for uh, for nesting our local nesting birds. So what we've done is we've created this delayed wheat harvest. We've had some great donations come over in the last last few few months and we we're able to kick this thing off this year. It's kind of a bit of a pilot program, but we're we're paying farmers this year. To delay their harvest, so we're trying to get past that that month in, in June, you know, trying to get them into the latter part of the summer, that gets them out of the field with that harvester, lets those um, the mallards hens get off of their nest, get those broods, the rice field that's next door or the wetland that's next door, and we're trying to save you know we're trying to be able to increase our local production because as you know a lot of a lot of things in um, all over the country and specifically here in California, local breeding uh, waterfowl and, uh, have been, have been, you know, it's been a concern of ours, you know, specifically our mallards. So this is one way through partnerships with farmers, you know, that they're going to, they're going to delay on 1500 acres this year. Um, you know, we had a lot of farmers sign up that wanted to be enrolled in the program and you know hopefully next year we can rally some more finances and, and make that happen. And and like I said, it's just, it's, there's a lot of different bits and what pieces what is the main the reason?
1: What is the main reason? I, I loved everything you said, but what is the main reason for the delayed harvest?
0: to keep the tractor out of the field. As you know, a a wheat harvester combine, it doesn't slow down. A lot of times, not only is the hen getting chopped, but obviously the the eggs. If you keep keep her on the nest for that extra four weeks, the goal is, is that she's gonna hatch those eggs. And those babies are going to go to the wetland and be okay. If that farmer harvests uh, when he's normally going to harvest, he's going to not only destroy the nest, but a lot of times, you know, they do destroy the hen as well. So, it is purely is delaying harvest. You know, Audubon does this with uh, with some of their programs. They might find a field that's uh, nesting a bunch of tricolors or some other species, and they'll just, you know, the, a lot of their programs they buy off the, the crop and then you know let that happen. So, this is a great opportunity. It's a new thing. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of momentum with um, adding this to our waterfowl programs and you know we're going to monitor it this year see how successful it is see how many you know how many nests and, and ducks you know we've saved and then you know, it's just it'll be a, just it'll be another great story for conservation just like the egg salvage program is just like all the, the wetlands work that we do in the state you know it, it just continues to build on conservation
1: that's so unreal that program right there mixed with your work with farmers and the ability for farmers to develop revenue off of their rice fields and their flooded rice fields because of the means of farming and, and farming methods and then you take that a step further and you figure out how much nutritional value that farming and your guys's efforts are giving to so many different species of wildlife not just ducks not just geese right you guys are feeding so many different i don't i can't from herons to freaking seagulls to to shorebirds to deer to rodents to predators to you name it these efforts that are being set forth go and help so much more than just the ideology of Wait, you you own bird haven, Paul Bonderson, and you're killing a bunch of birds off there? Well, yeah, this is how many birds we house on any given day here during the migration down and the, and the return, reverse migration on the way back up. Here's how many birds are benefiting just nutritionally and have a safe haven here to come in here because we barely hunt it. We got the properties here. We don't hunt it that much. And now you have all of those birds that are able to gain that nutritional value as they head back up to breed, leaving us a healthier population of breeding ducks once they reach their long, you know, the end of their long migratory routes. I mean, if you think about what all of that does with and then what you just said with the delayed harvest program that you just initiated it's it's sustainability man you're getting the most out of everything with hunters working with farmers working with Audubon, working with conservation agencies it's you're getting it all right
0: oh absolutely i mean you mentioned you touched on it a little bit but you know anybody that hunts in california you know you should you should have duck in october november uh especially if it's one of those first mig- migrators you know just look at the fat content on that bird between then and then, take a widgeon, a pintail, a mallard in January, late December. You know, I know you see it. I know that's why you love coming over to California and shooting these 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 pintails, speckle bellies, and and mallards. I mean, the widgeon. I mean, you look at the white fat on them. They're they're just absolutely unbelievably conditioned birds here in California. And you know, I, I I think we take a lot of pride in California, saying that you know what, the birds show up here and we send them back in a lot better condition. Uh, then the, then when they arrive, you know, so it makes that, makes that journey back up to Canada for those that migrate back up there. It makes that even, you know, makes it easier for them. So, uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it's a lot of, you know, I'll, Conservation can be summed up in like one word. It's it's love, right? It's love of the resource. And, uh, and that's what I think, you know, our membership has, I think that's what hunters have is that they, they enjoy the resource. They love it. They want to protect it and they want to make sure that it's there, just not for us to go out next year, but it's also their kids and their kids, kids. So, you know, all of these things that we do, they're all pointed to that to making sure that in 30 years, you know, when, when I'm no longer hunting anymore, that my grandkids are.
1: I love that. I think a lot of podcasts you think have to go. I think we said a lot today as far as why it's essential part of the hunt. It's so much bigger than the hunt. It truly is. The hunters mean everything to this initiative and this essential part of it. But what we talked about today and supporting CWA is essential all over the country. And I think that you'll agree with me that I'm not out of my mind or crazy. I am bat shit stir crazy right now over this quarantine. I mean, I'm literally like going Rocky sent me a text and goes, dude, I can just tell how you type right now that you need to get out of the house and go see some <laughs> Cause like I'm on it. Like I'm just like so geared and I just need, I, I guess I need to stop and pump the brakes and take a deep breath. I'll admit that. But Am I crazy to think that every duck hunter in America should support somebody like CWA? Is that a crazy thought that if you live in Arkansas, is it dumb to think that $35 is you're wasting your time to send it to CWA?
0: No, not at all. I mean, if you if you if you look at what's going on, the politics that are out here in California, they move they move east. And, you know, is that $35 investment is that, you know, can that help us fight harder? Yeah. And I, and I think if it's, if it's worth it, if you're, if you care about hunting for the future generations then absolutely, you know, absolutely join our organization.
1: I want everybody to take Sorry, Scott, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say just the other day, I looked at this. Uh, I, I, you know, I get our through our email. I get everybody that signs up to be a member and, uh, and, uh, and this gentleman got on there that signed up. This was about three weeks ago and he was from France. Love and it. loves everything we do doesn't hunt at all just absolutely know, just through social media you know it's just started following us and 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 became a member so how cool is that you know i love
1: it hopefully he's a chef and he can come over here and cook you out to teach you how to cook which brings <laughs> me to my next question tell me about the duck leg recipe the other night what species were they they were sauteed in, in, was there capers in there? Was there green onions? You had a little bit of a kind of a glaze over the top of them. High heat. Talk to me. What were they,
0: man? I'm going to stop you there. It's a lot simpler than that. So it was uh in a Dutch oven, you know, you mentioned in your, at the beginning, I almost stopped you and had to correct you on that. We'd love to eat the duck breast, but I'm telling you what those legs and those thighs are some of the, the biggest missed nuggets of waterfowl. And uh, so, I, you know, I started doing this years ago, you know, I, I never would find a great way to, to cook them. You know, if you keep them with the breast and thigh and, and skin attached, you know, these come off the barbecue. So, confit, they're in a, they're in a Dutch oven. I uh, throw them in the Dutch oven, skin side up, uh, on about 275, salt and pepper. Um, I think I had a little bit of chopped onion in there, a little bit of garlic. You know, and those were in there for 275 for probably three hours. Um, and I pulled them out of that. Um, they were just fall off the bone delicious. Pulled them out of the Dutch oven, threw them in a, in a skillet, finished them with whatever sauce you want. I use mui poi, which is, uh, you know, Asian sweet spice. You put whatever you yeah, want on. Awesome. A, lot, a lot of times you don't even have to put anything on. They're so good. So I go deer hunting every year in Idaho and I go with my father and a bunch of his friends and we go back there and I get to go based on one condition. I have to cook duck. So, so I always uh, although this year I'm, I might have to break it to him. I don't know if I'm going to have any duck left by by then cuz we're eating it up pretty good. So oh,
1: uh, Well, I like that recipe. I would I would think that 3 250 degrees for 3 hours might be I don't know, that just seems hot for long for me, but it seems, but I guess you're breaking down that meat that it's a different kind of meat and the tendons on a leg to where it does just fall off the bone. And it's like a crawfish boil. A lot of work for a little bit of meat, right? Like you can say, well, you got to, You got to catch the crawfish, and then you got to do this, and then you got to boil them, and then you got to get in line, and then you put all these in your plate, and then you got to sit there and take it out of the tail and the claw meat out of the claws and suck the head and do all the stuff that you do, and it's a little tiny bit of a morsel of meat. And then when you put it in your mouth and you taste it, you're like, holy jeez, that's why I do it. And that's the same with those duck legs. When you take like like a gumbo and you start it with some speck legs— and you get your roux going and then you get your, you brown them in there for three, four hours with the legs and you pull one of those out and you're eating it with your gumbo on your rice, on your bed of rice. Like, you're just like, Oh my gosh, I'm cutting off every leg of every duck and every goose I eat from now on. And it's a, when I saw it, I, I posted it and I was like, yeah, this is, this brings up some good ideas as far as, you know, throwing down with, you said it the best. I mean, when you said Asian, like I, I just had this conversation with, who the other day i've done so many podcasts brad Brad foresight dude i'm addicted to asian food sushi and Uh, pho and and just what we're talking about asians just are awesome at making food taste good yeah italians used to be my mainstay like i would say i'll take a good lasagna or good manakaya over anything but now i'm like dude if i can get sushi if i'm i talked to uriah faber yesterday on a podcast and we were talking about your guys's main place down there in california right you, you guys have the same same. I mean, everybody wants to go to the same sushi place in California. Do you go to the same one in in, Cal, in Sacramento? And when you're over in that area,
0: do you go to Makunis? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. if you go to all but over. We have one here in Folsom.
1: Yeah, and they're 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 building out, and because they're so good. But Uriah and I were talking about just the addiction of sushi and what it is and how clean it is. And I don't get the mayonnaise, and I don't get the fried shrimp, and I don't get the cream cheese, which is for weirdos, cream cheese, weirdos. I know you don't <laughs> eat cream cheese, Scott, cause you're not weird, but people that eat cream cheese need to check themselves cause it's really weird. And then when you start putting it with raw fish, that's even more weird. Yeah, but again, enough. that's just an opinion. But anyway, I like raw fish. So now I'm just like this quarantine. I have done the gift cards, buy gift cards, spend them later, hand them out, support the restaurants that way. So there's some type of revenue going in. I'm not doing any curbside takeout or eating out or doing anything. I'm just staying clean and cooking my wild game. But taking for granted sushi, dude, I am, I'm just like, like in a pissed off mood when you don't get it. Does that make sense to you?
0: Oh yeah. Make, oh, yeah look, at, no. look, at
1: the, look at this video, please. I'm going to hold this up to the camera and then I'm going to let you go because this has been a great podcast, but this is Florida. He just sent me a bunch of this yellow fan, and this is what we've been doing with it. Check this out. God, I text a lot. This quarantine's got me, Bo. Boat, boat. I mean, that looks
0: like. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Look at that. That's all, he did that all at his house, right? That's your buddy down in Florida? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Did I post yeah. that? Yeah, it's no, on he YouTube. Did. He no, it's got... on your YouTube. Really? Yeah
1: man i I don't even remember what i posted (laughs) so anyway i've just got this huge addiction to sushi right now and pho like this vietnamese soup good night hey Um, let me tell you
0: about some pho or i always pronounce it wrong take your speckle belly carcass after you cook it on the traeger yeah and make make your stock out of that Boil that down throw it in throw it in throw it in you know just
1: the, the whole carcass
0: after you've eaten it, taken all the meat off. Oh yeah. Oh, that smoky flavor. I did that last year and we made fall at home and it was unbelievable. You, know, you throw your carrots and your celery and your all Ooh, your spices, whatever you want. Your Will you text that to me?
1: Ginger. Will you write I, that down for hey, me?
0: I, I will, but I tell you what, everybody I cook around, I, I don't have, I don't follow recipes. For Dude, neither do Neither do I. I just, just, just do looks good and go.
1: Scott, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. Just yeah. write down what you're talking about <laughs> and, and send it to me, please. Will you please just send it to me? So I uh, like that idea. I just, I like to be creative and think outside the box. And when you think about taking a carcass and, and, and cooking it down for stock, it's awesome. Like, like, uh, parker mike uh, mike parker who's good friends with Rocky. do you remember mike parker you know Parker, dude his rendering stuff that he does with duck fat and how much he has in his freezer after his initial spec hunt of the year and then how he keeps all that fat to render for the rest of the year it's like dude that's genius like i know that you do that but you do with bacon fat you do try it with spec fat it's unbelievable right
0: hey i tell you what some of the times i cook cook duck for hunters or non-hunters one of my favorite things to do is take a fat pintail breast nice nice white fat and throw a little duck fat in the pan and then salt and pepper in the in the pan that's all and then you cook that up right and it's people are just blown away at how good medium rare medium rare oh yeah medium
1: rare with a tiny bit of that duck fat in there that rendered duck fat in a in a cast iron skillet on a traeger timberline 1300 at 500 degrees which as Mm -hmm. of today as of today tuesday april 14th 2020 with your app at traeger Uh, Traeger grills, your new app, right? You can right now, if you own one of these these Wi-Fi or D2 um, grills that have the the Wi-Fi on them, You can automatically turn your grills up to 500 degrees, the Pro Series, the Ironwood Series, and the Timberline as of today. I don't know if you saw me promote that app, but right now, I can go out with all my grills and just through the touch of my app, it's already been updated. I just have to hit refresh and I can turn them up with reverse sear. You put that cast iron on there with that duck fat in there with that pintail breast and you put fat side down with the salt and pepper and then just flip it one time, you cook it maybe... I don't know, three and a half minutes at 500 degrees, and you serve it at 133 degrees, it's like butter melting in your mouth. Oh, I yeah. will I will leave you with that thought today. You look like you're getting hungry. <laughs> you're a football player from Fresno State. I don't want you to come through this computer screen. That is Scott Mueller. What is your exact title, Scott, at CWA?
0: Vice President of Fund and Membership Development.
1: Fund Fund, F-U-N-D, and fun. He is a fun haver. I've had fun with Scott on many occasions. Scott Mueller, California Waterfowl Association. Visit them at calwaterfowl.org. Become a member today. I challenge you to just send me one reason why you shouldn't. Do it. This has been another episode of the Foul Life podcast. Today's episode again was brought to you by our friends at Gerber Gear, Gerber Knives, the Gerber Lifestyle right now. Hashtag Gerber Custom. Design your own knife right now. My good friend Remy Warren did it yesterday. If you look on his Instagram, you can check it out. Get yours done right now. Hashtag Gerber Custom at GerberGear.com. We have awesome episodes of the Foul Life, the Essential Series coming up more so than than I thought we were going to do. Every time we did one, I'd be like, well, there's another essential part that I didn't think of. So you're going to hear more of these. Thank you, Scott Mueller. Thank you for everything you do with California Waterfowl Association. Again, calwaterfowl.org. Get involved. You're going to see a lot more episodes of the Fowl Life TV coming straight out of California, Compton, City of Compton, City of God, Snoop Dogg. Don't little, go into that rabbit. A little NWA, <laughs> little like you could have so many just awesome Westsiders. Anyway, guys, that's another episode. Tom, hit that button. This is 2 a.m. Logic. The song is called My Foul Life. Thank you all so much for. For supporting the sponsors and partners that support our TV shows, our podcast, our social media, all of our live events, we're humbled by the growth and the success. Thank y'all so much. We couldn't do it without you. This is Chad Belding. Tom, sorry. Hit the button. Two AM Logic. My foul Live.